Hello and welcome to This is the Story of Podcast, a podcast where we believe the stories from everyday people and leaders should be told. I'm your host, Ben Hakama, founder of Illuminate Wealth Management. This week, our guest is Andrew Rescorla. Andrew is the co-founder of Urban Greens, an indoor hydroponic herb farm in the Twin Cities. Andrew and I go way back and I'm anxious to share his story with you. This is the story of Andrew Rescorla. Andrew, welcome. Glad to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> so as you heard in the intro, uh, Andrew's a co-founder, owner of Urban Greens, but we're not going to start there. Uh, we're going to start at the beginning, um, which the beginning for me is we met on the bus to kindergarten. Don't know if that was an important part of your life, but life-changing for me, of course. <laughs> it's how I tell my life story. Well, good, good. So we'll start there. So, um, no, but moving to just kind of want to highlight how you got started and and got involved in the business and everything else. So why don't you start wherever you want? Uh, how did this all happen? I feel like it's been a terrible misunderstanding. I'm here to give my stock tips. <laughs> good, great. I think you go long Tesla, high leverage, and a lot of call options. Great. Where do you want to start on on your business? We've known each other a long time. Start wherever you want. Indeed, yeah. So the story of our business goes back to 2014. I, my wife and I were about to leave for two years to Ghana in West Africa, where we were going to work in community development, which in our case mostly meant water projects. And I visited a friend of mine uh, who will feature in the story. His name's Joel. And I just heard of this concept called aquaponics, which is where you grow fish and plants in the same system. They use the same water. It's this amazing kind of elegant symbiotic system. And so I was visiting Joel and I said, Joel, we got to build an aquaponic system in your attic because I thought it was cool. It was as simple as that. And, and so and we, Joel's just waiting for you to come up with good ideas like that or. <laughs> I don't know. He was in the energy industry biding his time until I came up with a brilliant business idea. And, and so we did, and it was, it was the most pathetic little system. It was about, three feet tall and, and it could sit on a desk and there was four goldfish and it grew a couple of very pathetic heads of lettuce. But A, it was a lot of fun building something, working with our hands. And you and I sort of grew up in the city. We didn't do a whole lot of, of building and making. We were sitting on computers and, and working that way. So that kind of opened our eyes to just this other, other part of life. And while I was in Ghana and, and my and Joel was in Pittsburgh, we both sort of taught ourselves the industry on YouTube. We had no training in agriculture or hydroponics or aquaponics. The amount of quality content on YouTube and also blogs, but especially YouTube was incredible. We, we learned how to design systems, how to care for fish, what plants you could grow, what the markets were like, uh, how to sell to restaurants and grocery stores. And we sort of used YouTube to, to build a prospective business plan. Wow. All while you're uh, serving in, in Ghana. So for those that don't know, what, what were you doing in, in Ghana? I mean, I know you said water related stuff, but um, you know, what led you there? And I think that's a cool part of the story too. Yeah, that was a dream that my wife and I had had since we were, before we were married. And I think, I think our, our faith brought us there. Um, felt a, a desire and a prompting to serve. And as two environmental engineers, it seemed like a nice fit to work on water projects. 
Um, we didn't do a lot of engineering per se. We did more uh, leading meetings underneath a tree in a rural community in, in Inn or Ivory Coast and talking about toilets and hand washing. But we, we learned a lot. It was, it was definitely a dream come true. But it, it is true that between trips to Burkina Faso and Ivory Coast, I was watching hours of YouTube videos <laughs> on aquaponic system. And that is kind of where the dream of a business was born. That's great. <laughs> so you get back from Ghana. What happens next? Well, we had to find a place to live. And, and at this point, the, the dream of a, of a business is, is a, it's a toddler. It's a real idea, but there's not a real business yet. But one thing that was very important to us as we figured out where to live was we wanted a place where we could test out our ideas. So we had all these ideas on how you design a hydroponic or aquaponic system. We had never done it ourselves. Joel had grown a grand total of nine heads of lettuce. He had killed four goldfish, and that was the, <laughs> the extent of our experience. We moved to Minnesota where we had lived prior to Ghana, and right away I was looking for a house where I could build a system in the basement. What did, what did your wife think of that? <laughs> I am incredibly fortunate in that department. She's been extremely supportive from the very beginning. She was on board the key was you need, a, you need a basement that's not totally finished. You don't want a beautiful basement with carpets and, and a media center. But you also don't want a, a totally unfinished space. So we, we threaded the needle on that, found a house that had a basement that was perfect. And so in September of 2016, Joel flew out and the two of us built a hydroponic system that was less pathetic than what we had in his attic. It was still far from a professional productive system, but it was, it was eight feet by six feet. And we could grow 30 or 40 heads of lettuce a week. Wow. So, uh, so Joel's out there and he decides I'm going to move to Minnesota. Is that pretty much what happened? Yeah. With about 4,000 <laughs> phone calls in between, you can imagine. <laughs> right. And Joel also got married in, in the midst of that. So he's got a brand new wife. They're trying to start their life and they live in kind of Eastern Ohio and, and in the Pittsburgh area. And we, I was tracking data. My, my background in graduate school in engineering had really set me up to be obsessive about the data tracking. So I was tracking all these metrics, too many to be useful really, but we convinced ourselves from the basement system that we could at least give it a shot. It, we weren't 100% confident that it would be a viable business, but we thought there's a chance it could be. So yep, he moved out sight unseen and we had we had no business outside of my basement and and we started in my living room with a couple laptops so was this first system was it uh, an aquaponic system with fish or did you go a different route yeah the aquaponic system that dream died a lot of regulatory issues around fish and okay. also the landlords people that own office and warehouse buildings they don't want you to have big tanks of fish because they smell bad Okay. Okay. So uh, practically it was harder. Uh, how does that change the system? Is it, I mean, I'm assuming there's some differences, but is it pretty much the same overall system? It's, it's quite a bit easier to run. You know, if you've got plants and fish, you, you got to keep them both alive and keep them both happy. And they have slightly different needs on how salty the water is or the temperature or the oxygen. And so when you're in hydroponics, which is what we do exclusively now, you're just focused on the plants. You dial in the fertilizer, the water, the air, precisely how they want it. Sounds good. So 
uh, you have the system, it's in your basement, and you start making money. Is that pretty much what happens? <laughs> we still use the same Google Sheet to record all our revenue, and every time you open it up, it opens to row one, and you see all these entries of like $6 from our friends. That's, that's good. <laughs> it's a good reminder. Yeah, for sure. So uh, not overnight success. No, we, we did the family and friends thing where we kind of gave away and then sold very, very small batches of lettuce and basil. But then it was really a matter of getting commercial warehouse space. We knew we couldn't, I think technically we couldn't legally run out of the basement and, and obviously that wasn't going to be a long-term solution. So we went about finding a warehouse. So uh, you find a warehouse, do you have any customers, any idea how you're going to you know, pay for this warehouse or is it <laughs> just using your own money and have faith it'll work? Yeah. Yeah. No customers to speak of other than some friends that had told us they like our lettuce and they would buy it. And that was a big, a big hurdle to sort of, you know, get the lease on the, on the table and put our names next to it. We were personally guaranteeing the lease, which is no small matter. Both wives, again, were <laughs> extremely supportive uh, and, and I mean, they were, they were the breadwinners for, for each of us, which is, is what enabled us to do this. So you started, I think you said September, 2017. So when did you get your first, uh, lease in a warehouse and, and, and really also, when did you start making some money off of it? Yeah, well, the basement system was September of 2016. Okay. We signed, we started our first lease 12 months after that, September of 2017. And so we were growing by uh, October and we did our first farmer's market in November and the two of us worked the whole thing. It was a winter farmer's market indoors. We were so nervous and excited. We harvested everything really early that morning and we sold out of, of basically everything. And we, we hauled all our stuff back to the SUV and we sat in the car and got the cash box out and counted the money like four times. <laughs> And it's embarrassing to tell you what the number is. It was, it was like $390, but we were kings that day. Uh, absolutely. You know, he fly, he moves to Minnesota to join you and uh, you get to sell most of your product. That's gotta be great. Yeah. But then farmer's markets were sort of something we did on the side. Our primary way of, of selling was a home delivery model. And that was something that we always wanted to do. We, we really wanted to be connected to our community directly rather than, than going through a, a wholesaler distributor. And we've kind of gone away from that a bit, but we, we did a subscription model. There's a lot of these out there now. People could sign up for the frequency and the size of box they wanted. And what made our system very unique is they could choose exactly what they wanted. So if they wanted heads of lettuce one bundle of kale and parsley they got exactly what they wanted you've got the home delivery and, and people can customize that um did you have delivery drivers did you uh use your 300 dollars to to hire somebody or are you still bootstrapping this we bootstrapped for a long time so we we're doing our own deliveries and occasionally a customer would call and say uh, oh your delivery driver left the box at the side door can he bring it to the back door and I, on the phone, I'd be like, yeah, I'm definitely going to talk to our driver. And I had <laughs> dropped it off earlier that day at the side door. That's uh, great. <laughs> so we were doing everything. We were planting the seeds, harvesting the crops, and driving it around town. 
I know that you had some, some troubles at, at times with growing. I mean, you're growing plants and anyone who's tried to grow in their own uh, garden or, or whatever, you have to maintain it. And sometimes things don't work the way you want it to. Um, <laughs> do you have any good stories about uh, things failing and, and how you fixed it? Yeah, I mean, there were some horrifying moments. There were a couple of days where we would walk in the farm and all the plants would be a little yellow. And it's like the first day you sort of just pretend like nothing's wrong and you go about your day. And then the next day they're all brown. It's like we have deliveries next week and all of our plants are brown. We're called urban greens. This cannot happen. Not going to work. So, I mean, a, a theme in our story over and over is we have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> a lot of people help us and we figure it out. So there's a handful of examples of this. The, the, the one that, what's sort of most interesting to us is there's a professor at a, at a highly prestigious school who's sort of an industry leader in this stuff. He writes these white papers that we read religiously. We'd like knew them by heart. And at one point when, when all of our plants were showing terrible nutrient deficiencies, I, I decided to email him out of the blue. He had no idea who we were. Of course, we're tiny. And I just said, Hey, our, our, our plants are, are struggling. We're an indoor hydroponic farm. We've really appreciated your, your advice and your papers would you have any time for us? And it, a total shot in the dark. I did not expect to hear back, but he responded immediately. And we, we did a video call with him. He listened to us for 90 minutes, gave us a bunch of advice. And that's what's happened every time is, is we have problems and somebody helps us out and, and we figure it out. That's, that's great. So just, um, you know, having the, the confidence to say what could go wrong here, let's just reach out and see what happens. And um, seems like you're rewarded with that and people are going out of their way to help you, which is awesome. And, and I'm not surprised. So what, um, wh what does it look like now? What is Urban Greens today? Yeah, we have two warehouse units in a suburb of Minneapolis, 4,000 square feet. We are still very small and we still do almost all of the labor. We do have one employee. We did transition away from the home delivery and, and looking back, I think our problem is we just priced ourselves too low. We, we cared so much about being accessible to sort of the average person mm -hmm. that we, we put the price point at a spot that didn't make sense for us. So at this point we do almost exclusively herbs and we sell them to grocery stores in town. Okay. So, so we sell to about 15 grocery stores and co-ops and we have over 13 different crops that we sell. Uh, do you know them all off the top of your head? <laughs> I can probably get them. They're all just about all herbs, basil, chives, dill, mint, marjoram, parsley, rosemary, sage, thyme, sorrel. I think I got them all. <laughs> so do you... Uh, it, <laughs> do you know how to use all these? Do you cook, you know, and, and have all these fresh herbs in your own cooking at your house? <laughs> we don't do as well as we could, but you know, that is kind of one of the core beliefs we have or, or core principles is that food is, is more than just nourishment, but it can really bring people together. It can be a central part of gatherings and, and specifically good food, a very rich, tasty food can be important. So we want that to be part of who we are. We want to be a farm that doesn't just sell herbs to people, but a farm that helps people cook better food. The term Joel uses is we want to transform the home cook into the home chef. 
So we are making some effort at that. Having fresh basil around is incredible. Basil is so good. Yeah. <laughs> so it is incredible. You put anything, pasta, bread, eggs. And so we do use a lot of basil. That's great. So what do you see for the future of urban greens? Yeah, the, the kind of basic vision would be to prove out this, this small farm model where you have a, a economically sustainable farm, a handful of employees, and it's serving a, a relatively small radius, say 10 miles of, of grocery stores and restaurants and farmers markets, and then, and then replicate that around Twin Cities and around the Midwest. So rather than going to one very large centralized farm, have a, a distributed network of farms. We think that's the most effective way to, to serve communities, have the people that work in the farm also live in that community and serve people that they know. Hmm. And, and we think it makes a lot of sense in terms of keeping transportation costs down. That, that's the basic vision. There's some other elements to the vision. Um, you know, one, like I said, we want to do more than just sell herbs to people. We want to help change how they eat and how they gather. So we think about cooking classes or doing, doing a, having a demonstration kitchen, partnering with local chefs. Of course, there'd be a, a blog and Instagram component to that sort of thing as well. And then we also think about doing some value add products. So we don't just sell you basil, but we make pesto and a basil vinaigrette and a basil mayo. And, and there's a, a whole suite of herb related products that we would, we would make and, and distribute. That's great. So how does that vision uh, compare to 2016 uh, <laughs> and, and the vision you had then? Uh, the, the vision back then, it was, and again, we had no idea what we were doing, right? But the vision there was we wanted to grow really high quality, good tasting and safe produce for our friends, our community. So I, I, I talked about this idea of, of good food being central to gathering. That's one one belief we have. The other belief that we sort of has carried through from the beginning is that communities are stronger when they're more connected. And, and we mean that economically they're stronger and then socially and relationally they're stronger. So that was the vision was to be, be growing high quality food for people we know, our neighbors and our friends and our family. Mm -hmm. And now that we're going through grocery stores, that feels a little trickier because we don't we don't run into friends who tell us how much they loved the lettuce we delivered right. to them last week, um, which was a really satisfying thing as a, as a business owner and a grower. And so we've lost that a bit, which is kind of why we're focusing or, or at least thinking about how we can be more involved, whether it's through cooking classes or farm tours or, or demonstrations, because we really do, we want to hold on to that piece of the vision where we are connected with, with the end user. Mm -hmm. So it's different than anything else you can buy at the grocery store because there's a community connection that you can't get from the box name or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. We want to be more than a commodity for sure. So do you find that um, now? I mean, I'm sure it's difficult to sell to a grocery store and you have no control over um, the feedback you receive. You probably my guess is you don't get as good a feedback uh, or as direct a feedback as you would at a farmer's market or from a friend. Um, so how have you adjusted to that? It's been tricky. We, just from a morale standpoint, when we would have people text and email and call us about how much they enjoyed our produce, that 
that just makes it way better to walk into work the next day. So we've missed it. Now we do get the occasional customer, the, the real diehard who looks at the label, Googles us and then sends us an email from our, our website. And we appreciate that. But we try to have relationships with the, the grocery stores, but that's tricky because they're dealing with 50 different farms that grow a million different things and distributors. And, and so it's tricky to, to get a lot out of some of those employees. One thing we've tried to do is, is taste our product a lot more. We eat our stuff all the time, which you eat raw oregano once a day for a while and it, it, <laughs> You're kind it of starts over it. to taste pretty strong or you, you kind of get mixed up on what it's even supposed to taste like. But we've tried to really get ourselves into the produce. That's great. So what else? Any other good stories or anything you want to share on struggles or, or successes in your business so far? No, I've, I've touched on it. I, it just comes, comes up again and again that, you know, there's this idea of the imposter syndrome and that's sort of my, my experience, especially as a business owner where you sort of can't believe you're really in charge of this business or that anybody really takes you seriously. <laughs> and, and maybe they don't take me seriously when I hang up the phone but they pretend to and, and this constant feel that we don't know what we're doing. Like right now our time is growing really poorly. It's turning red. I'm supposed to be green, you know, <laughs> and we don't want to sell red time to our grocery stores. And it hits you again that, that we don't, we don't know what we're doing. We're inexperienced at this, but that feeling has been a constant and we've always come up with a solution and people always help us. And and yet it's hard to make yourself believe that it'll happen again. Well, anything else, any other things you want to share? I don't think so. Any, any, any holes in the story? I don't think so. So if, uh, if somebody listened to this and uh, they wanted to find out more, maybe they're in the twin cities or, or want to help you bring it to Chicago or somewhere else, what, uh, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, the, the company is Urban Greens, and, and the website is urbangreensmn, as in Minnesota, urbangreensmn.com. Great. So last question I, I ask all of our guests. Um, we are in a world with a lot of turmoil and, and a lot of reasons to be pessimistic as you look to the future, um, but, but I think it's always good to look on the bright side of things. What's something that gives you hope when you look ahead? I'll, I'll go big picture. I think it's a, a really good question. And for me, my hope comes from my faith. And I think it, it boils down to a belief that all these bad things, all the terrible stuff we see on the news, all this brokenness that's in the world, it's all going to be ultimately made right through Jesus. And that includes the big picture things like global pandemics and, and the smaller things like my own insecurity. And so so ultimately, it's not up to me to solve the world's problems or, or really even solve my own problems, but, but all these wrong things will be made right through Jesus. That is a great answer and a great way to end. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for listening to this episode of This is the Story of Podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or other podcast platforms. If you have guest suggestions, you can send an email to contact at thisisthestoryofpodcast.com. You can also find all of our episodes and notes on thisisthestoryofpodcast.com. 
Our podcast is presented for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice or endorsements. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Thank you.